Come on, come on, won't you let me ride? My clothes have holes and the weatherman lies. It's so cold, I think I might die. Gotta get to Winnemucca before daylight. Get to Winnemucca. Hey, how's it going? Welcome to Tell You What, the podcast. We talk with musicians about songwriting and music making. My name is Mike. Today we sit down with Idaho songwriter and musician Elon Jewell. Elon's recent excellent record, Get Behind the Wheel, was the featured topic, but we covered a lot of other ground as well. I'd like to first point out, we recorded this about a month or so ago. And Elin mentions her record release anxiety and her hopes that the record, quote, does well. Well, I just checked, and her album is currently resting comfortably near the top of the latest Americana charts. So I think she can relax about that. Elin has had an interesting path as a musician. As we hear when she was younger, she was quite shy about performing, particularly telling is the anecdote about her favorite day of the year being the day after her annual piano recital, when she knew she didn't have to perform again for another year. Quite a trip to the artist she is today, known for her live performances, and Elin talks about the personal connection she's in search of when she performs. Elin has also been on quite a journey over just the last few years. She went through a divorce from her husband, who also happened to be her drummer and her manager. She also faced the untimely deaths of some close friends and family members. Throw COVID quarantine on top of that, and Elin found herself in a bad place. In our discussion, Elon was extremely generous with her thoughts on this very personal journey. She shares her experiences with meditation and her use of psychedelics, which she credits with bringing her back from that dark place. I am grateful to Elon for sharing her thoughts on that time of her life, as many of the great songs on this record are a product of those struggles. Talking in depth about her songs is not something Elon was previously comfortable doing, But for this batch of very personal songs, she has found her way to opening up a bit about them, and it made for a great conversation. So check out Elin's record, Get Behind the Wheel, and look for her coming to play in your town. Elin will be happy to say hello to you after the show. Big thanks to Allison Mahal at IVPR for getting Elin's music in front of me and for making this interview happen. Very much appreciated. And now, please enjoy this Tell You What discussion with Elin Jewell. Elon Jewell, welcome to Tell You What, the podcast. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us today. Thanks for having me. Sure thing. You're coming to us from your home in Idaho. Do I have that right? That's right. Yeah. Boise. Boise, Idaho. Yeah. So about two weeks ago, your newest record, Get Behind the Wheel, was released, right? Mm-hmm. Record release time. You've done this before. You've released some records before. Does it feel any different this time, or, or is it always the same? Is there a sense of relief, excitement to get these songs out there? Kind of a mixed bag. It's like this feeling of 
yeah, like um, there's a lot of, there's fear in it, you know, like, oh, I hope this does well. What if it doesn't? Um, but there's also a lot of like just joy and gratitude in in it, especially this time. I feel like um, with this album, all of my kind of usual emotions and just my mixed bag of uh, neuroses <laughs> was like, <laughs> was uh, amplified. You know, everything just kind of yeah. felt more intense, I think, because there was a time there in the pandemic when I just wasn't even sure if I'd ever make another album again. So, so it kind of felt more intense, more fraught. Yeah. yeah. Well, we're going to get into some of that intensity a little later when we talk about the songs, but for now, let's go, let's go back in time a bit, talk about your early years. Um, what kind of music was around your home or community? Maybe that shows up in what you're creating today. You did grow up in Idaho as well. Yeah, I did. Yeah. I grew up in, in Boise. Um, my family, no one in my family is a musician um, per se, but my, both of my parents are music lovers. And, you know, they didn't have a lot of music, like, being played in the background that I remember. Yeah. But when a song came on on the radio and that they really loved, I, I remember both of my parents, like separately, I have kind of early memories of them um, getting really happy. And I think that's something that's always fascinated me from a really young age is the way that music has that ability to just to change people's moods instantly. You know, the way that if a song comes on, you know, that someone really loves, they just, they light up. Yeah. Um, I've, I've really um, been drawn to the way that music affects people and yeah, so what was the first music that you remember having that effect on you? Um, definitely music from the 50s and 60s. Oh. Um, yeah. Like uh, Jerry Lee Lewis, Great Balls of Fire um, was one of the earliest ones. And, you know, the that movie Stand By Me that came out in the yes. 80s. That soundtrack, I still, I just, I think of it and I just get so happy. Everything in there. <laughs> That's great. So when did you start making music yourself? Did you pick up an instrument? Were you always singing or how did it really start? Yeah, I was always singing. Um, I remember writing my first song when I was probably in you know first grade. Mm-hmm. Um, the one that I think that I remember the most clearly, I was in second or third grade and, and my dog died. And my first instinct was to write a song about it. And Interesting. I writing, or I didn't like write it down, but I came up with it in my head. And I walked around the playground of my elementary school, just singing it to myself. Sadly, <laughs> and it made yeah. me feel so much better. It was a, it was a sad song to comfort myself with. Um, so it's always been like a um, like a survival mechanism for me. Yeah, that's like the the scene in the movie, the foreshadowing scene where the the child tells its own future you turn to songwriting the first time you needed it yeah yeah it's it's interesting how it's like it's just kind of in my blood to do that and yeah I didn't see anyone doing that it's just you know because since my parents don't write songs and I just thought I don't know I don't know what I thought it just happened yeah (laughs) and did you pick up the good was it the guitar your first instrument or piano or uh, that was the piano. Um, yeah. I 
just I got it in my head that I wanted to play the piano exactly like Beethoven. Um, so I I told my parents that I just had to take piano lessons. So I I did that um, from age seven to about eighteen. Oh wow! Yeah. So you did end up playing some Beethoven, I'm guessing. I played some. I never. You, you might be shocked to learn this, but I did not learn to play exactly like Beethoven. Uh. <laughs> but I, I it, consider it my first love, my first musical love. And then the guitar came later at an age um, about 15 or so. And when you were playing the piano when you were younger, were you writing songs right from the outset at the piano? Or did that kind of work its way back later? Um, that kind of came later. I, I wrote a few songs in my teens. But then it kind of went away and then came back more when I was in my 20s. I thought I'd, yeah. I'd try it again. And yeah, when I was a kid, it was like the ideas just came so freely. I think I just didn't have the self-editing mechanism in place yet. It was just like yeah. I was writing all the time, like about popsicles, I remember, and Santa Claus and Easter Bunny and then... And then I got self-critical, you know. Wait, my popsicles? Teens. Oh yeah. Do you know the popsicle song? <laughs> well, it's not very original because I just um, I just stole the uh, basically the melody of uh, lollipop. Ah, uh, change it to popsicle. Popsicle. <laughs> oh, yeah. pop a pop a pop. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Yeah. Uh, so, so you weren't <laughs> writing songs until your twenties, but were you playing the guitar or playing the piano as a performer before then? Well, I was. Um, I would play the piano when forced to in front of other people. I had to do uh, an annual piano recital that I dreaded <laughs> all year long. I used to say that my favorite day of the year was the day after the piano recital because I had 364 more days before I had to do another one. Wow. Um, I, I never thought I would willingly get up in front of people and perform. That was interesting. not something I was interested in at all. And um, I, I really am not sure what happened there. I, I think um, I, it was kind of this gradual evolution where the the guitar I I learned the guitar because I really loved singing and I didn't want to just sing with no instrumentation behind me so the guitar was portable and um, my friend and I liked to go you know out and about like I don't know backpacking or to the river and we just like sing songs when we went places so I kind of learned the guitar in order to have a way to accompany myself singing and and my friend too and um, and then and kind of one thing led to another, and I met this other friend in college who was really into busking and, you know, like street performing. So he got me into the Santa Fe Farmer's Market, and yeah. I started doing busking there. And that's when, that's when I started noticing that sometimes when I sang uh, with this friend, um, and people would hear their faces would light up and they'd get really happy and, you know, they'd bring us little gifts. Um, they'd leave things in my guitar case, like jams and jellies and <laughs> loaves right. of bread. And so I, I was like, wow, this is, this is something that people really enjoy. Hmm. And did you, did you dread 
the day before going to the farmer's market, that feeling of the recital, or was that just a different feeling altogether? It was totally different because with busking, people weren't, it wasn't a captive audience, so it right. wasn't nearly as intimidating. Um, yeah. People would just, uh, if they wanted to listen, they'd stop and then they'd be appreciative usually. And then those who weren't interested would just keep walking. So it was this very casual experience that didn't give me the jitters at all. And, um, yeah, it was all very friendly. Um, I didn't. And you're playing cover stories, cover songs at this this point. Yeah. Uh, mostly like old bluegrass songs. Mm -hmm. Some, yeah, some folk songs. Um, and then I think, it wasn't until I decided to do keep busking in Venice Beach that I, I think I started doing a couple originals. And eventually you got up on a real stage. Yeah, that came later. Let's see. So I think the first time I was on a real stage willingly was um, <laughs> maybe 03. And that was in the Northeast. I, I moved to... Um, to Great Barrington, Massachusetts, in the Berkshires. And there's a great music venue there called Club Helsinki. And I would do their open mic sometimes, mm. um, which kind of seemed like another good transition from busking to a real stage. Yes. Um, and it was. It, it was nerve-wracking, but, it, you know, I was with other people who felt equally nervous. And, right. And um, it's kind of similar. Like, people weren't paying attention too closely, so... Um, They're just waiting for their turn, mostly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so I did that, and then um, somebody at Club Helsinki heard me at the open mic and asked if I wanted to open for Jeff Moldar, and that was kind of what launched everything, really, because then yeah. I, I got a taste for what a real show is like and um, and realized that I could kind of work through the jitters and even learn to work with them. Yeah. So you're starting to write more songs at this point. Yeah. Uh -huh. At what point did you start to think of yourself as a songwriter and someone whose vocation it is to write music and play it or have people hear it? I think it started right around that time, like um, right around when I opened for Jeff Moldar at Club Helsinki. And I was starting to feel really... Um, a lot of um, discontent with like with where I was in life. I was I was working for a photographer who was really passionate about his art, and I was like, oh, I'm just like it was a fun job, and I I loved his art, but I was like, I want to be doing my own art. That's right. I want to be slaving away for something that is like my passion, and so that's why. I moved to Boston from the Berkshires um, to get serious about um, becoming a, a songwriter and a performer. And yes, yeah, that's when I really started writing songs, I think. Okay. Yeah. Well, let's talk about that songwriting process a bit. Um, I know there's probably not one particular way, but how generally are your songs coming together? Do you try to have a regular or daily writing practice? Do you wait for inspiration or maybe wait for the pressure of working towards a recording session? I definitely do not have a daily practice. I'm a very, I'm not a very disciplined person. 
mm-hmm. <laughs> I I like to do things only when the inspiration strikes or when I absolutely have to. <laughs> so deadlines work really well for me. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it's a combination of inspiration and and deadlines that get me going. And but then as far as like what inspires me that or like the actual process itself of each song it's really pretty different you know sometimes it'll just start with an idea like i want a song that's like this yeah. and i'll have like a vision of how the whole song will be in my head um but then other times it's like oh i just really like this phrase and i just i just want a song with this phrase in it um let's back up to that vision for a second when you mm-hmm. say you have a vision of a song in your head do you, is there a melody? Is there a concept? Is there a structure? What parts are, are contained in that vision? It's more like a concept. Like, yeah. wouldn't it be great if I had a song that had this as its, yeah, it's overarching kind of yeah. concept. Um, but sometimes there's a melody with no words. Sometimes there's words with no melody. Sometimes they, sometimes they both come together and it's like totally intact. Like I just have to tune my antenna to a certain station and there the whole thing is right Um, and others come really it's very painstaking and laborious and you know like i'll write one line a year or something right yeah that's what i was going to ask so you have works in progress of different songs all at the same time you're not like working on one thing start to finish yeah it's yeah it's it's more chaotic than that it's like Mm -hmm. uh scraps on various pages and various notebooks and and then sometimes I'll go back through and piece them together yeah and is the guitar your primary writing instrument are you still going back to the piano you know I've never actually written on the piano um it's yeah it's just the guitar yeah um the piano for me is more like it's more of a classical instrument I'd I'd like to mm. get into um, like learning how to improvise on piano, but yeah, but mostly it's this, it's like sheet music and, um, kind of a different part of the musical brain for me. So I imagine you're collecting ideas all the time, even when you don't think you're writing songs, is there anything you find brings the ideas out or anything you do to bring the ideas out? Some people talk about driving or walking or gardening, things like that. That's a good question. What does bring the ideas out? I think they either just come or don't come. But sometimes if I just, if I really am in the mood for like writing a song, I'll just go somewhere, like just out of town. Um, It's not necessarily the driving or like any particular activity once I get out of town, but maybe it's just the quality of being sort of anonymous and away from the obligations of home. Yeah. That kind of creates a blank slate. Speaking of getting out of town, you have done a lot of touring over the years. Let's talk about maybe what you've learned from that. Two-part question. You can take either part of this or both. First part, what is important to you when you're performing live? What are you trying to bring to the audience? Second part, do you feel that all this touring and live performing um, somehow feeds back into your creative process in some way in terms of the song ideas or maybe how you approach developing your songs? So what's important to me when I'm performing? Yes. 
for me, I think the main thing is that magic that I was talking about where I can see that the music is making people feel something, yeah. you know, that, that kind of like transformative uh, magic that music ha- has. Um, when I can see that look on people's faces uh, while I'm performing and, and have that give and take with the audience where they just seem really happy to be there in some way, even if it's a sad song and, you know, um, or maybe even especially with a sad song, that appreciation that they show, it's not, I don't really think of it as being for me. I just, I feel like we're creating something together when, when an audience and I are in sync with each other. So that's kind of mainly what I look for is that give and take. Yeah. And then it ha- it continues after the show. Um, I like to do a meet and greet with the audience after every show and that has proven to be a really important part of the experience for me because because that's a give and take too you know they 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 come up and they say sometimes like what the a particular song means to them or how it how my music has affected their lives and and i just think like wow i, I feel bad sometimes for people who can't or don't want to do that meet and greet after because you yeah. miss out on that. It's not the same as reading it, you know, in the comments section on Facebook or whatever it's, or on YouTube. It's, um, it's like a real, uh, feels like a real exchange, you know? Yes. I, I tell you, I, I think that more performers should do what you're talking about because from a audience member or listener's perspective to have even a 10 or 15 or 30 second interaction with the artist who's creating the music changes that person's relationship to the music. Even if it's a brief exchange, their brain now processes, I think the way I feel about it, their brain processes that music differently in the future because they feel they've made this connection with the artist. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. I I feel that I've been that on that side of it too, you know, from the yeah. audience member's perspective. Yeah. Now there's something a little, even a little more personal about the music even if it's a short interaction and for for me as a performer i just love having the opportunity to genuinely thank people for coming like it's if they didn't mm-hmm. come it would have been a failure <laughs> of a night <laughs> but they right. came they made all the difference you know and so i want to actually say thank you and and sometimes that's all it is it's just hey good show hey thanks for coming but sure. even that is like it feels really important to me so that makes a difference. Let's talk about this excellent album, Get Behind the Wheel, just out two weeks ago as we record this. Um, you kind of alluded to this earlier, but these are very personal songs. You've been through some stuff, and that stuff is in these songs. So is this batch of songs more personal than what you've written or maybe what you've released previously in your career? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, this is by far the most personal collection of songs i i tended to shy away from writing about anything too autobiographical before um i'm not sure why i mean it wasn't on purpose but i guess i kind of liked to weave um fiction and autobiography like into you know into each song so that it was kind of a kaleidoscope um, yes in the past and that, but this this album was like 
I don't know, I, I didn't really necessarily set out to write, like, this is going to be about my experience, but that's just, that's what kept happening. Every song pretty much was, like, was taken from things that I had, that were, were like, up for me, that were right. near and dear to my heart at, at the time. Did you find you were hesitating to do it along the way, or was it just a natural progression? Um, it was natural, I guess. Um, part of me did hesitate a bit around some of the songs because my now ex-husband is is in the band with me. You know, I want to be respectful for him, towards him. But um, but then you know, so some of them are about him. <laughs> yeah. You know, there's some awkwardness there. But he's been really great about um, taking, you know, taking the time to say, yes, this is awkward, but I'm okay with this. And, you know, this, the songs are your art, and I, I still want to be part of, of your art. And we get along really well together still, and we work really well together. So, yeah, so the only difficulty really has been in um, kind of, performing them with him and of course he recorded them with me too so right but he's ready to to like start this new chapter of our relationship and so am i and so so far so good that's great yeah now you had talked about previously you didn't write about these personal experiences you weave fiction in but in terms of point of view were you writing from a character's perspective or about a character or did you present them in the first person it was just this interlacing of fiction and real story. Um, yeah, they they tended to be using the first person, but the first person was not necessarily me. Right. <laughs> yeah. Just okay. trying to throw people off my trail, you know? Yeah. Well, I found, I've tracked you down, so it's all over now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I find it interesting to talk with artists about their relationships to the songs that they put out there and how they feel about them personally. I read an interview where you said previous to this record, you didn't necessarily necessarily talk too much about the songs, about their origin stories. Has that changed with this batch of songs, your willingness to talk a bit more about the songs themselves? Yeah, I'm, I'm more willing to talk about them now. Um, I think, you know, I still kind of butt up against some, some unknowns and at some point like language sort of breaks down for me I can I can say you know here's what I was thinking when I wrote this song or where I was at in my personal life but then you know it's it's kind of hard to really say like so there's a song called Crooked River on my new album and so people will ask like so what is Crooked River to you and it's like, you know, there's so many different ways to answer that. There's so many layers. Like, well, it's an actual, literal, physical place that I went to a lot while I was suffering through a lot of this stuff, you know, in the past few years. But then on the other hand, it's a metaphor. And it's also like, I don't know, man, I just kind of like the way those words sound together. <laughs> yeah. So there's um, there's a lot of different ways to talk about music. And I think that was my, my reticence in the past was because, you know, it's like, I just get overwhelmed. It's like, I don't, there's just too many, too many things to say. So I'll say nothing. <laughs> yeah. Well, also maybe you want the listener to have his own story with their song. Yeah, totally. Yeah. You brought up Crooked River. 
um, you actually already half answered the question I was going to ask, um, but we can talk about it a little more. The idea of the sense of place in your music in terms of where you are writing, like the physical place you live in and your surroundings, how that influences your music, but also maybe you can talk about how you bring place into particular songs in this instance, this place, Crooked River. You know, I, I draw a lot of inspiration from the West in general, but Idaho especially. There's just something about the West that has always really spoken to me, the wide open spaces and the, the big skies. And, you know, I, I guess I'm, a, I'm an Americana artist through and through. I like, I like writing about trains and, <laughs> yeah. and desert scapes and um, rivers. Yeah, rivers, and so um, that's the that's the slice of Americana that really speaks to me, I guess. Um, uh, yeah, and then and then like all the the emotions that surround those images, like there's like a loneliness and a heartsickness that come up when you think about landscapes like that. Uh, they're evocative, you know. And when I finally get myself together. Let's go big picture again for a minute. You have been on the personal journey that's reflected in this collections of songs. You already alluded to some of this. You went through a divorce, experienced loss of some loved ones. There's, of course, quarantine. Now you've come out the other side. Uh, now engaged, I understand, by the way. Right. Yeah. Congratulations. Thank you. And you got this amazing record. As part of all of this, you went through a discovery process, a personal spiritual, if I can use that word process, you worked on a meditation practice. I understand practicing mindfulness. I believe you also had some experiences with psychedelics. Mm -hmm. So can you talk about how these changes, the, this work you did made its way into your creative practice? And it's, did you find your songwriting process different as a result of say the psychedelic experience or your meditation practice and maybe in what ways? Yeah, um, let's see, how how did those affect my songwriting? I mean, I think mainly they kept me sane. Yeah. So they, yeah, they, they got me through um, a really, really difficult time in my life. Like, it, it, everything happened at once, and I realized that I had no, I had no coping mechanisms other than like drinking basically and i realized pretty quickly that that was not going to help at all and it was going to make things worse and so i started looking for other ways to deal and um yeah luckily i'd always been curious about mindfulness meditation anyway so it was 
it was pretty easy. It was like, well, this is it. This is like the excuse that I've been looking for to get into this. And um, I, I got connected with a Dharma teacher right away who has, who helped me learn to meditate. And um, I, I think that if it weren't for meditation and then um, a little bit after meditation came um, psilocybin journeys, um, I think that I would be, I don't know where I'd be. I don't, I don't, yeah. possibly not even alive. I don't know. Um, because it was just, it was that, that difficult of a time for me. And, um, and I just, I think partly because I, of like the attitudes that I grew up with and for always being on the road in my twenties and thirties, I didn't learn healthy habits of like, you know, like how to cope with my strong emotions um and a lot of like chemical habits or addictions are are just ways of uh regulating emotions you know and and i'm starting to realize oh yeah i i crave a drink more when i'm feeling these ways and before i guess i never even put that together it was just i don't know this is what i do because i'm a touring musician you know right and i've i've always struggled a bit with anxiety and just kind of chalked that up to, oh, well, I I just have a stressful life and didn't really do much about it. But when I went through these um, personal losses, um, some deaths in the family and, and of friends, right around that time, I also had to start touring again, but it was still, we were still kind of in the pandemic. So it was this like perfect storm of anxiety and stress. And, um, and I got a prescription for Zoloft and I tried so hard to make that work. I just, I really wanted to not be in a full-blown panic attack all the time. And I don't mean to knock on Zoloft. I know it works for a lot of people, and mm -hmm. a lot of people swear by it. Uh, and I'm not an anti-pharmaceutical kind of person at all, but I, it just really was not, did not work for me at all. It was, it, it was worse than, <laughs> yeah. it made things worse. And um, so I think a lot of creative people would have a problem with that kind of medication also. Yeah, it, I, I felt really foggy. I was tired all the time. I was taking like three-hour naps every day, and I didn't have time mm. to be doing that. And um, Yeah, so I was really needing something. Um, I also had, you know, I was, I was trying to stay faithful to the meditation practice and keep that up, and, and that, was, that was good, but... Um, I started microdosing psilocybin. Not, I didn't do it every day, but it was kind of like on an as-needed basis. I'd just take one little capsule, so it, it, you wouldn't even wouldn't be enough to even know that I'd taken anything. I, I right. wasn't hallucinating, or you know, it was it was that subtle. And it's amazing what that was was doing for me. So I was hmm. kind of able to go on. You know, it's kind of the idea behind Zoloft, like it makes you able to function in your life. And yeah. um, so I, I swear by that in combination with um, mindfulness or some kind of meditation practice and exercise. And that, uh, that saved me. I still do like a full on journey every now and then, especially when I'm feeling, I don't know, stuck or if there's like. Yeah, I, I, I tend to get kind of in, in mental and emotional ruts where it's like, why do I feel this way? I don't know. It's just because I've been feeling this way for a while now. And so I just keep feeling this way. And it's that kind of constricted, um, like, 
uh, very narrow, you know, not not expansive mind state. Um, yep. And it, that does not lend itself well to any kind of creativity um, or joy in life. So once in a while, I'll just do a full journey and see see how I can get kind of blasted out of that rut for a little while. <laughs> yeah. That's great. I think this is a very good time to talk about the opening track on the record, Alive, right? I'm going mm-hmm. to quote a lyric here. I lick the plate, we drop inside, and everything true, it comes alive. This line jumped out at me. First of all, it seems like a de- direct reference to one of those psychedelic experiences, mm-hmm. and the sounds and vibe of the song reinforced that for me. Mm-hmm. But also, as some of the first lyrics on the record, it seems you are inviting us along on this trip, that the record is the journey of the songs mm-hmm. that kind of represents this period in your life. Totally. Can you talk about this song and how, how this happened? Yeah, that's um, you're the first person to call me out on a drug reference. <laughs> but yeah, that's... I've had some experience in the field. <laughs> I um, The song, the idea is like, yeah, putting down old habits. Like you say you want to kill your thirst, but the flask is cracked. It's like the old thing that I've been trying to do, the the drinking away of the problems has not been working. Um, also, it's sort of a Buddhist reference, that idea of like when we're trying to get to an end goal, it seems we, we never really reach it. You know, if, yes. but if we can just be here now and like um, focused on the present moment, um, that's when everything kind of opens up to us. The present moment is bottomless. It's infinite, but the future like just never really arrives. The, the vessel that we try to contain it in just is cracked. You can't do it. You can't get that goal. You can't yeah. reach that end goal. So yeah, it's a, it's like a shift in attitude and perspective. Instead of drinking from the cracked flask, Let's lick the plate <laughs> and uh, and see what happens. Yeah, go for the ride. Try something yeah. new. Um, I'm not saying that it's like it's going to cure everyone's ills. Like it's still, you know, it's still the human journey, the messy process of being alive. But at least it's like I feel alive. You know, yes. after enlightenment. What is it? Wash the dishes, do the laundry, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. You say you want to kill your thirst, but the flask is cracked. How are you ever going to quench it like that? So I lick the plate, we drop inside, and everything true. What about the sounds of this song, kind of the psychedelic vibe to it? How did that come together? How did that happen? Um, that was mostly Jerry Miller's idea, um, my guitar player from way back. He and I have been um, playing together for so long. He was on my first album and all the ones in between, too. And, yeah, um, he's a pretty amazing player. Yeah, he's amazing. He can 
he can play anything and um we work so well together i we we never talk about things we don't we don't like consciously decide i want it to be like this and so i think you ought to do this and you know or he he never checks in with me like is this what you're going for we just um we read each other's minds i think <laughs> so, yeah yeah he he went for it with the uh with the backwards guitar at the end of the album um that psychedelic sound he was like i want to do this thing and i was like okay do it whatever and i'm sure it'll be great and it was and it, it was the perfect uh perfect sound and we'd we'd never done that before on any of our albums so I thought yeah that first and the last song to me are kind of a pair in terms of the psychedelic sound of them or kind of the journey of the record yeah totally um and they both were songs that didn't have much of a structure like i didn't i went into the studio not knowing what would go where i just kind of had like a vague idea about them um about how i wanted them to kind of sound or what groove i wanted and and they were both done in like i don't know one take maybe two wow um, and i was talking to the band in the headphones like okay all right it's like make it intense here and they just they were like what is she talking about okay <laughs> i'll do something and and that's I, what ended up on the record yeah i like that it take. i like keeping it that way like i like i like things to not be um you know, you get to overthinking the studio a lot of times, um, and not knowing the song really helps you to not <laughs> not overthink it. <laughs> well, also having a band that you've worked with for so long makes that work too, right? Yeah, exactly. They're they're yeah. so intuitive. It's amazing. Yeah. You have to start at the bitter end. The bitter about the song Winnemucca a great name to bring into the world of cool places in songs like <laughs> Tucumcari Mus- Muskogee Amarillo right but for me the real hook of the song is the repeated line at the end of each section with that great harmony and the resolution on the repeat of the line can you talk about how this song came about and maybe when you came up with that idea to, to repeat that that line yeah so the song came about it was just after the divorce was finalized and I was feeling kind of um, a lot of mixed emotions. It was I was also feeling mainly really restless because it was um, early 2021 and so it was still very much like pandemic world and I hadn't really 
traveled much, so I got in my car and did this like solo little adventure. It was kind of like a way of saying, it was like ushering in a new era for me to yeah. do that. And one of the places I went um, from Boise was Winnemucca. It was just me in the desert and all these kind of like joyful fantasies about what my new life was going to be like. Um, and I was, I started dating um, the person who I'm now engaged to. And so he's, he's woven into that song. And, and the idea, I guess, behind it is like, there's like a loneliness to it, but there's also this like newfound freedom and joy and defiance. And I kept thinking about um, Jeffrey Foucault has an album called Ghost Repeater. And I've always loved that phrase, ghost repeater, and was sort of fascinated by what that meant. And I guess it's like a, a repeater radio station um, that isn't really manned by anyone. It just kind of sends out the signal from a computer that it's like that it's told to. Yeah. And so I kind of felt like for many years that's that's what I was. I was like a ghost repeater, and. I, I was trying to work that image into the song without ripping him off. <laughs> so, <laughs> so the chorus came, um, yeah, I'm a lonely station. And that, that's the station I had in mind, like a radio okay. station. Um, I'm a lonely station in the desert tonight. Splice my wires, I want to get electrified. It's like, I want, like, it's like this desire for, like, a new kind of life. It's, like, vivid, you know, electrified. Yeah. Um, Splice my wires. I want to get electrified. Plug me into your neon signs because Winnemucca has so many cool old vintage like casino signs. I I just love I love the neon in Winnemucca. Um, uh, Nevada. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. so gambling is is all over the place there in Winnemucca, and it has this wild west feel. And it was such a fun place to be at that particular time in my life. Um, uh, so yeah, and then I want to. Blast my love, let it amplify. Blast my love, let it amplify. Like, I want to be a station now that's not not a ghost repeater, but, like, I want to broadcast love. Like, I, you know, I want, to, I, want to be, I want to be turned on in this way that I wasn't before and, like, broadcasting something that's really meaningful to me, not just um, kind of going through the motions. So, yeah. It's quite a statement. Yeah, it's it's like a it's a manifesto in a way. I'm a lonely station in the desert you have a really effective range of vocal styles. One thing I noticed on this record, I hear a difference, a subtle difference sometimes in the way you deliver song that has 
tension in it lyrically about the difficulties of your life, like you were a friend of mine or the bitter end versus a song like Winnemucca or Crooked River, where there's like a, a peacefulness or maybe an acceptance in your vocal tone or the delivery of the song um, versus the tension that might show up in some of these others. It really works so well. Is this something you think about it or is it more natural after writing and singing so many songs that your delivery just naturally fits the tone or the message of the songs? I don't really think about it. No, I, I, if I did start to think about it, I'm afraid of what would happen. I'm sorry. I brought it up. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> I mean, like in the studio, you know, I, yeah. I've never been trained at all vocally. I, I have no formal training, so I don't really know what I'm doing. Um, but well, it seems to work out for you. Oh, thanks. I I take heart in the fact that a lot of my favorite singers were not formally trained. And I yeah, I guess I just I kind of like fumbling around on my own and I'll I'll sing a song and just think like okay, well I guess this is working and I'll hear it back in the studio and sometimes I can change little things um but for the most part I just yeah, I just kind of do what I do and often I'll think I'm singing in one way like I'll think wow I'm really like giving it my all this sounds really intense in my ears and then I'll listen back in the studio and be like oh it just still sounds like lazy me like my vocals always sound lazy to me (laughs) so I've just kind of come to accept that like well unless I want to start taking vocal lessons that's just how I'm going to sound and and you know I'm I'm undisciplined, so I'm just gonna <laughs> keep it with what I've got and uh, well, hope for the let's best. Let's work in particular. Yeah, particularly in this record, I really really enjoyed the vocals. I want to talk about one more song, Outsiders. Mm-hmm. I think it's fascinating that this book, S.E. Hinton book, written in the 1960s by I think like a 16 year old, right? Mm-hmm. And the movie from the 1980s have had such a life that these stories still resonate. I guess it has resonated with you because you wrote this song inspired by this book or movie, right? Can Mm -hmm. you tell us about what moved you to write this one? I saw the movie on an airplane recently. Um, I guess it was a couple years ago now. Um, I hadn't seen the movie since I was, I mean, when it first came out in the 80s. I was like maybe eight when I saw it or seven. I... (laughs) was shocked to realize that I still remembered every scene. I remembered every line. (laughs) So it was this kind of like um, eye-opening experience. I realized like, oh my goodness, this this thing is so deeply embedded in my psyche. I didn't even realize it. And I had read the book. Just for the record, I don't think this movie was intended for a seven-year-old. No, it really wasn't. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I should not have been watching that movie. Um, I also read the book. I was obsessed with it. I loved it. Um, I think that it was formative for me. I think that um, it's partly why I love, um, you know, it's like it's such a slice of like true Americana, the, the greasers and the socias and classes warring with each other. Um, yeah. But also, like, I learned to, I think from that book, I've always loved the underdog. I've always liked the, um, I don't know, the like, the puppy with the like, I don't know, weird patch over his eye or 
um, <laughs> like the one that's sort of like beat up a little bit. The runt. Yeah, yeah the runt. And then it kind of made me think that, I don't know, like there's something out there. There's like a, it's an aesthetic. It's really hard to put my finger on, but the, um, the kind of underdog that writes poetry, that's also really gorgeous. Like that to me became the ideal person. Yeah. (laughs) Um, like hops freight trains, but then goes to save children, um, from a burning, uh, building. So I don't know. It just I think it uh, it warped me and my my sensibilities and but I, I don't I don't regret it. It's it's a beautiful book, beautiful story. So this would have been one of those concept songs where you thought I want to write a song yeah. with this idea in mind. Exactly. Yeah. Like I wanted to write about. I like I felt like that book slash movie that it needed its own homage from me because I realized that it's, it is such a part of me um, that it kind of influenced my later actions in ways I didn't even realize. And so, yeah, that's what I was like. That's, I want this song to be about this. And that's what I went for. Who was I supposed to be? this a little while i want to ask you one more kind of big picture question if we can we've talked about the journey you've been on that resulted in this record if you look back at your entire journey as a musician creative person songwriter is there something you think you've gotten better at over that time or maybe something you're working towards in terms of your creative life i think i've gotten better at talking to people um i mean I don't know. I guess you'd be the judge, maybe. It's just been going all right. <laughs> I have, you know, I have ways to go, obviously. But, um, but I was just so shy at the beginning of my career. I didn't want to talk to people on stage. Um, I didn't, like my stage banter was awful. I mean, it still is sometimes. I'll have like, you know, anxious nights and, and I freeze up there and I don't know what to say and it comes out super awkward. But, and you know what? I think part of it is that. I had to see myself as someone who has a seat at the table. Like mm. I'm a grown up now. I can I can have conversations with people and you know, it's terrifying, but let's do this, you know. Like at yeah. some point you have to you have to join the world and talk to people and whether that be on stage or after the show or you know or in interviews and 
um, it's really become, like I said earlier, like my favorite part now. Um, yeah. So that's that's an area of growth. I don't. I wouldn't have done that. I don't think if it weren't for music, I would have stayed. I would have stayed even more shy than I am. Yeah, that's great. Well, thanks very much, Elin, for taking the time and also for being so generous with your thoughts about this journey you've been on and um, talking about these songs in such such a great way. These are very personal uh, stories, so I'm glad you were able to, to spend this time and, and share your thoughts so generously with us. Oh, thanks um, for having me. Thanks for chatting. 